Good morning, RCC. I'm going to give you a blessing and you give it back to me, okay? Grace and joy to you, family. It's so good to be home to be with you today. I miss you guys. Amen. You look so good today. And I want to thank all the elders for your prayers. Thank you, brothers, so much. And thank the RCC family for your kindness, your warm greetings, and your prayer for my queen and I. And uh, so we are excited. We can't wait to come back and start preaching regularly for you. I have a few more preaching engagements around Illinois this month. And uh, so I'm going to get them out the way, all right? (laughs) And then be able to come and be with you on a regular, continuous basis if the Lord delays his coming. And we are not all in glory by that time. Amen? Uh, My queen is here. Stand up, baby. Let them look at you one more time. That is my queen. That is the sugar in my coffee right there. And uh, I always do that, guys, because I want the single men in here who are looking. That one belongs to me, brothers. All right. <laughs> Amen. And then my baby boy is here all the way from Los Angeles. He's coming to join us. That's Aaron Wilson coming in the back. And I'm so glad to have him here. What a delight. I'm trying to convince him to stay here in Illinois and to help me in ministry. He's got a long history with Young Life. They're doing youth ministry and serving in various capacities. So you guys pray that the Lord warms his heart and keeps him here with his old man. Amen. (laughs) To help me in ministry. And he's single. Ladies, by the way, so see me. I'll take all your resumes after this. Amen. Amen. It's preaching time. Amen. Anybody need to hear the word of the Lord this morning? Bow with me with prayer. Father, thank you again for my privilege today to stand with the children of God. Lord, we are so grateful and just humbled that you would open your word to us, grant us the precious power and privilege with the presence of the Holy Spirit to understand what you are saying to us. Meet us now as we take this journey. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, that we may hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And then, Father, remember me that my feet are but clay and that I need you. Breathe on me now. Behind the cross, I stand. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. From the Gospel according to Luke, the Gospel according to Luke chapter 7. And I know somebody's thinking, well, the last time he was here, he preached through Luke. Uh, Doesn't he preach from any other books? Absolutely. But I'm going to be in this one. I've been led to walk with you through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, when we begin our journey in early September. And I want to thank Pastor John for your constant encouragement, brother. I love you. Thank you. What a preacher, too. Great job, brother. St. Luke chapter 7. St. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's holy word? Let's read together, family. Now it happened, the day after, that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. 
When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Amen. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'd like to tag this message today for your listening pleasure. Don't give up. It ain't over yet. Amen? Beloved, when we come to this portion of Luke's gospel, it's the first year of Jesus' earthly ministry. And the news of his notoriety has spread all around the region of Judea. It's been said that Jesus has the power to give sight to the blind, to heal the disease, to cast out devils, and to just say the word, and the sick could be made well. And in this chapter alone today, we get to see Jesus entering into cities and places while changing lives and bringing great joy to the masses. Today, Jesus is leading a procession of joyous followers, and he's leading them into what I call a new situation. See, the place he's heading to is experiencing some sorrow and some sadness. The city is called name. The word in the Greek literally means a place of beauty or a place of pleasantness. And it was called this because as a small little village, it's set inside of sort of a valley that was like a basin. And in this valley, it faced the beautiful site of the great Mount Tabor. And it was a small valley, but it was plush, and it was fertile, and it was green, it was fruitful, and it was pleasant to the eye. Did you know, though, that it's the first and the only time this city's name is mentioned in the scripture? And it's the first and only time Jesus will ever set feet on the soil of that great situation. That means for you and I, this text is to be paid close attention to. Why? Because his encounter with that city was going to be epic. It was going to be epic, beloved. And it was going to be epic because it was an encounter with God that the entire city would never forget. So when we arrive at this scene, the first thing we see is we see a clash of processions. You say, what do you mean, Pastor Angelus? There's a funeral procession that's leaving the city 
of a popular widow woman there. And then there's this procession of joy being led by Jesus because all of these people are following him now because of what he has done in their lives. And these two processions, they collide at what I call is the city gate. Now this is important because the city gate was the place of transactions. The city gate. It was the place where the elders met to do business on behalf of the life of the city, the city gate. It was the place of arrivals and departures, the city gate. It was the place where all of life intersects. And there are five things I've learned, Pastor John, about reading that, that one particular verse. Number one, I learned that life ain't over until God says it's over. I'm hunting for an amen right there. I've learned that Jesus is the compassionate one. And he has the power to turn your sorrow into joy. I've learned that Jesus always comes to see about his children. And I've learned that Jesus will always meet us and give life direction for the journey. The fifth thing I learned from reading this text is that sometimes beautiful things have to die, but God has the power to bring them back to life. If you're listening to me online today, I want you to know this, that I want you to journey with me today through this text. And let's learn a few other things. There are three points I want to give you today for your listening pleasure and your note-taking abilities. Number one, let's look at the funeral procession. Number two, let's look at the funeral potentate. And number three, let's look at the funeral proclamation. And I'll unpack them for you as we go. Point number one, verses 11 and 12. If you can put those on the screen for me, thank you so much. The Bible says, now it happened. What happened? The day after that Jesus went to a city called Nain. Why is that important? Well, if you go back to read verse 1 through verse 7, you'll see what happened the day before. That was the reason for the crowds following Jesus. He went to the city called Nain, and many, the Bible says, disciples went with him. And a large crowd. You see now how many people are tracking with Jesus? Verse 12. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. And he was the only son of his mother. And she was already a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. Can I unpack this text for you this morning, RCC? That's your cue to say something to me, okay? Say amen, Pastor. First thing we see as we journey through this passage is in this text, there's a funeral happening in a place that's called beautiful. Now, it's a procession of pain in spite of it being a beautiful place. I think I'll just say this one time for you. Sometimes even the beautiful have to go through difficult things. Nobody is exempt from the pain of this old world. The second thing we see in this crowd is that the crowd that is following Jesus 
is experiencing joy and happiness, but they are about to collide with the crowd that's experiencing sorrow and sadness. They are both heading to a strategic place in Lane. It's a meeting at the gate of the beautiful city. Now, this gate, Bible, Bible readers, is no normal gate. No, it's the place where all new and exciting things are announced. Uh, Pastor John, it's the place where businesses are transacted, as I mentioned earlier. I like to call it this. It's the place of hellos and goodbyes. Thirdly, we see that the crowds here, they have not yet interacted before. But they will all now be brought together by the unexpected circumstances of life. Sister Wilson, love of my life, I've noticed something here. There's also something interesting going to happen in this passage, love. Two sons are going to meet for the very first time that have never met before. It's going to be their first time to greet one another. Both of them are important because both of them are the only begotten children of their father. One son is born from above. The other son is born from earth. I think you see where I'm going, Pastor John. One son is the son of God. The other is just the son of a man. One son is living and one son is dead. The son who is dead was the only son of the widow. He was all she had left of her love with her husband. The son who was dead had experienced death's grip and now he was no longer able to take care of his responsibility which was his mom. Death had devastated his family before when it came and took dad away. And now it showed up and has taken the son away. Death had picked his family out to pick on them and had had them in what I would call the proverbial headlock and made life difficult for this poor woman to live. This boy was the breadwinner for the family. He was the one to shoulder all of mother's problems. He was the one, Sister Mary, to make sure that everything was going to be all right. But death showed up one more time and did what it did to this family, devastated it for another season. Well, the second thing in this text is that this second son is the verse, as I mentioned, is the son of God. He's the miracle worker. From Nazareth. He's the answer to all life's problems. I feel like preaching today. He's the one who shows up at the gate. And he's going to now change life's horrible transaction. He shows up at the gate to make death behave. He shows up at the gate to regulate life and fix what has gone wrong. He shows up because children are not die before their parents. That's just not right. He shows up to redirect their journey. Y'all going to help me preach today? He shows up to cancel the funeral. He shows up to give a mother her son back. He shows up as the son who cares. He shows up as a son who sees a woman's pain. He shows up to intervene and to make all things brand new. Here's what I learned. Here's what I learned. Because Jesus is present, this funeral is going to have to be canceled today. 
unless Jesus is present, this funeral is going to have to be postponed. Because Jesus is present, this funeral will, yeah, no longer affect the beautiful city. And this crowd is going to have to get ready to meet the Messiah. And they don't even know it yet. But because Jesus is present, they're getting ready to meet the one who has all power of heaven and earth in his hands. These two crowds, very different, are going to one day or that day become one crowd. That gives me a good question to pause right there. Isn't this something when the dead meets the living? Isn't this something when the old crowd meets the church? What a joyous presence and, and opportunity that is that we have, RCC. To be a light and they prevail. To be the crowd that's following Jesus with great joy and anticipation and expectation while they are grieving over the things of life. God makes you a part of, yes, the joyous procession. I believe an amen goes right there. Is there anybody here today that's ever been in a situation where you needed God, but you didn't expect him to show up? Have you ever been hurting and you didn't know where God was? Have you ever had your heart broke, your feelings hurt, your head messed up, and you needed for God to show up and to make things right? That's where this mother is in this passage, beloved. Yes, her baby's dead, and death seems to be bullying her again. She needs a savior. That's what this passage is about. And Jesus showed up to stop the procession of pain and be all that she needed him to be in her life. Well, we've looked at the funeral procession. Let me show you now the funeral's potentate. If you're still with me in here, somebody said, preach Wilson. All right. <laughs> Verse 13. The Bible says, when the Lord saw her. Oh, that's beautiful. He had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. When you come to this portion of the text, you and I get to see what Jesus saw when he came across the funeral procession. Jesus, the potentate of this event, that word simply means the, the one who wields great power. That, that's who he is in this funeral procession. When he sees this woman and that in the crowds that are with her grieving and wailing and weeping, they do not know who it is that's in their presence. Now, according to the passage, when Jesus saw the woman in her pain crying passionately, he saw her and he saw that her community also was filled with sadness. He saw her struggling with the loss. He saw her in her pain. As the potentate of the event, guess what he does? He says something to her so powerful that he's literally calling for her to change how she's looking at her situation. Now, why does he do this? Because he's God. 
He's God in the flesh and he alone wields great power. He can speak words like that in situations because they are commands to fix what has gone wrong. I like this text because the Bible goes on to say in that first verse, not only when he saw her, but look, he had compassion on her. Look at that real good. The text does not say, brother elders, he felt sympathy for her. Mm -mm. It didn't say he was concerned for her. He felt her grief. No, the text says he has compassion for her. And his compassion moves him to action. Oh God, I think I just said something right there. God's compassion for us moved him to come down from heaven and to do something about our situation. Can I talk to you today? And your compassion for humanity ought to make you move to do something on their behalf. Compassion for her makes him engage with her problem. Compassion makes, her, makes him attend to her cry. Brother Mike, compassion makes him speak words of life into her situation. Brother Dan, I stopped by to tell you today that God always speaks a word of compassion where there is tragedy. God spoke in a time when she needed it most, brother. And when he spoke, it was with words that required faith. When he spoke, it was with words that required action. When he spoke, it was with words that required trust. Words that required precision like faith in a tumultuous time. The Bible said Jesus stopped the funeral procession with divine compassion. Then he spoke to the woman, do not weep. That's a command. Notice the divine call to action and command. Jesus, with his power, is literally saying to the woman, Brother Aaron, stop from weeping in the present. Stop weeping like it's all over. Stop weeping like there's no tomorrow. Stop weeping like th this is the end of all things. Stop living life in the realm of unbelief. Here it is. Don't weep. Daughter, it ain't over yet. Don't weep. Because it's not about what you see. D don't weep. This isn't the last of this situation. And I don't know who you are this morning. And I don't know what the thing in your life that has caused you some temporary unbelief. But I stop by to tell you, daughter, son, don't weep. God has the last say. Come on, talk to me, church, right there. I stop by to tell you that death is not king. No, no, no. Death works for God. It has a job to do, and it will only do what the Lord allows it to do. He, he may have won this round, but the fight ain't over yet. See, you, the loss of something sentimental to you, it may be difficult, and I don't want to make light of that. But here's what I want you to know. When heaven's potentate shows up, he comes to make all things better. He comes to make all things better. I promise you he will. 
Can I tell you today, Jesus is speaking. And in his word this morning, there's power. There's life. There's hope. There's sustenance. There's grace. There's resurrection. Here it is. There's restoration. Oh, that felt good right there. So don't give up, family. I know you may be in the midst of a dark and a difficult decision. I know things may be tough right now in your current family situation. But don't you give up. Your God, hey, there it is, is on the case. And I feel like with Jesus on my side, everything's going to be all right. The woman didn't know it at that time, but this was the compassion of God. The word that he gave her was filled with compassion. His presence was a ministry of compassion. Oh, yes, it was. Compassion was in every aspect of this moment, and it was the compassion of God. See, she was getting ready to encounter God like she'd never had encountered him before. Here's something else I noticed in the, past, in the passage. The text uh, lets me know this. This woman never asked for God's help. He just showed up and decided to do this on her behalf. I know you read that and I know you saw that too, but I tried to impress you right there. She never asked Jesus to say these words. Nobody else in that crowd had invited him to come to the funeral. Nobody asked him, Pastor Dave, to show up. Nobody introduced him to the woman. This blessing was a just because I want to blessing. I feel like saying it again. Sometimes God don't even have to ask you if you need me to do something. Sometimes he just blesses you because it's a just because I want you blessing. I got proof in the house. Can I give you some? He woke you up this morning, didn't he? Put strength in your body, didn't he? Gave you the activity of your limbs, didn't he? Bless you with the understanding of breath in your body. May gravity behave. Has the whole earth spinning on her axis. Nobody in here paid the sun bill or paid the water bill. So they were right. It was a just because I want to blessing. And sometimes God, for the children of God, has a pocket full of just because I want to's. That felt good right there. Parenthetically, as I look at this text. You know, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. Can I get a witness right there? Right now, he's present in our crisis, too. Right now, he has a word of compassion for your crisis. Right now, as difficult as it may seem, God is present in the midst of your situation. Well, we've looked at the funeral's procession. We've looked at the funeral's potentate. And that clock is staring me down up there, so I'm going to hurry up and get you the funeral proclamation. Y'all going to help me preach? Uh, by the way, y'all know by now, I'm a long-winded preacher. All right. Verse 14, the Bible says, then he, he came. Watch what compassion makes him do. And he came and he touched the open coffin. And those who carried the young man stood still. And he said to young man, I say, oh, that's good, to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began 
to speak. And he presented him to his mother. RCC, thank you for your patience online and on land. I'll land the plane now when I tell you this last bit of information. When you arrive at this final pericope of scripture, you get to see how the funeral potentates proclaim words of compassion to a family that changes their whole situation. According to the text, the Bible says, after Jesus spoke the words, in the same act of compassion, he touches the casket or the buyer or the coffin. Now, why is that important? Well, back then, it was forbidden. Did you know this? Rabbis could not touch the dead. If they touched the dead, it was considered to be unclean. Brother Mike, the only one who could touch the dead was the family. It was the family that prepared you for burial. So why is this so significant that Jesus comes and touches the casket? Number one, he comes to teach us, I'm not an ordinary rabbi. Number two, he comes to teach us, to teach us I'm family just when she needs me to be. Now that's just good preaching. I don't know where you're from, but can I tell you here? Jesus decides to engage with acts of compassion to demonstrate to the culture, to the circumstances, and to the community that I am God and I am here because of love and I want to change this situation. That's powerful right there. And when he does that, the Bible says that then he proclaimed something to the dead man. He says to the dead man, I say, good God Almighty, unto you, arise. Now, now, why is that critical? Well, because Jesus literally demonstrates, I have the power and the voice to speak into the unknown realm. This boy is gone. He's passed on. But Jesus, by his divine power, in his Emmanuel office, God with us, is able to speak into the realm of the no longer and call this boy back into the land of the living. Anybody ever ask you who Jesus is? You got proof in your scriptures that he's God. You know anybody on this side that can do that? Any other man, any other person in history you know able to do that? I don't think so. Only Jesus Christ alone, right? The cornerstone, as we sang earlier. He is able to do the impossible. And he speaks to this boy. I say unto you. I got some fun. I have some fun right there with this passage. Uh, Sister Sandy, I like this text. I know she's with the kid, but look at this. I say. Arise. Who is the I say? The one who has power to speak life and death. I say. The one who called worlds into existence. I say. The one who called forth the dry lands from the seas. I say. The one who made you into my very image. I say. The one, yeah, who was made flesh, the word that was made flesh, the author and finisher of life. The Alpha and the Omega, I say unto you, arise. And don't you know when Jesus says it, it has to come to pass. The boy sat up 
that beautiful. Then Jesus does something beautiful. Look at, look at the compassion of the text, verse 15b. He sat up and began to speak. The child did. And then Jesus presented the boy back to his mama. What a gift. What a beautiful savior. He gave mama back a gift. The only thing she had left from her husband, her son. He gave mama a gift. The baby boy that she missed so much. This tells me that God is a relational God. He cares about family, right? He's into a family being made whole. He specializes in relationships, RCC. He's a God who reconciles. He's a God who restores. What a beautiful name, Restoration Church. He restores broken relationships. He's a God who satisfies. He's a God who knows how to give you what you need. I got so many notes up here, I'm about to go nutty. Listen, let me just tell you this as I cut it off. He's so much God that when he came down, these type of miracles were only a precursor to the greatest miracle that was ever going to happen. When he does this miracle in name, the word goes out even further about what he could do. But as beautiful as Nain's miracle was, there was another miracle coming. There was another miracle coming that was going to spread throughout the history of humanity. I call it the miracle at Calvary. You see, at another mountain, on the city outside of Jerusalem, God, Emmanuel, Jesus the Christ, laid down his life on a tree that you and I, might be reconciled back to the right relationship with God. It was a miracle. Why? Because he said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I'll take it back up again. He willingly died that you and I might experience the miracle of the new birth. And amen goes right there. He died, RCC. I'm telling you, he died. He gave up his life. He took our sins upon himself. Everybody who's ever been born has been born wrong. We've been born sinners against the holy God. Jesus came to fix that at the cross by taking on our transgressions unto himself. That's the miracle. The miracle is you couldn't be good enough to get to heaven. You couldn't be smart enough to get to heaven. You couldn't be fine enough to get to heaven. You needed a savior. And the miracle is God provided you one himself. Amen, daughter. Amen. Come on, give me another amen. He died. He took his body down. Put it in a borrowed tomb. And early Sunday morning. The first day of the week, the Bible says God the Father raised the Son back to life. Second miracle, absolutely. He took the sting out of death. So now death becomes, for the believer, a closet. It's where I step in, I take off this fleshly garment, and I get a new resurrection body. Hey, did y'all see my move right there? I get a new body, and when I step out on resurrection ground, this body, Dr. Cho, don't know high blood pressure. 
This body won't be touched by COVID. Can I get an amen right there? No, this new body I get is a resurrection body. That's another miracle God does for us. Isn't that beautiful? Well, I'm out of preaching moments right now. Can I give you a brief story I found this week? story is told of Sir Edwin Lanzier, one of the most famous artists in the Victorian era. This painter was so known that once the king and queen of Scotland once asked him to come and to reside in their residence and to paint a beautiful portrait. Well, the artist went and he did his thing and was getting ready to leave. And one of the servants in the house who was serving the king spilled a picture of soda water on the wall and it created this huge, uh, ugly sort of mess. The servant was distraught. The workers were distraught. The artist asked everyone to leave for the day and allow him to clean it up. Well, the story says that when everyone was out, he took a piece of charcoal and he began to work with the mess that was splattered on the wall. And when the servants came back to the quarters, king and queen returned back home. He had taken this mess that was on the wall and created this beautiful country scene with waterfalls, animals, streams, rivers, trees, and grass. He took a mess and made something beautiful. Why did I tell you that story? That's like you and I. Our lives are just like that. Until the master painter, Jesus the Christ, comes along with the charcoal of grace and decides to take your mess and put it on the canvas for the world to see as a work of art that only God could do. Boy, listen here. If you could know my past, if you could know the things I've been through, the problems I've had, the sins I struggle with, you'd be looking at me now saying, boy, that work of art looks pretty good up there. Why, Jesus is able to make the difference in the midst of a broken life. And guess what he's doing with humanity? He's taking his time because he's working a beautiful masterpiece off of something that the enemy has tried to destroy. Well, I got to leave you now. Great song came to my heart in my study. I think you'll appreciate this. I won't sing it for you. But the lyrics go, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He bled and died to buy my pardon. And an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. And all God's people said, amen. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer as the praise team comes? Father, I'm so grateful today for this amazing passage of scripture that reminds us of your power, of your love for the broken, of your care and concern for those who are hurting 
and in need of a Savior. Thank you for the opportunity for us to read this passage and to just look over it in its details. We thank you for that. Well, Father, there may be somebody here today who's just like this woman and they're wrestling in a dark place and they're in need of a Savior. Perhaps there is one here who does not know you, who has not had the wonderful opportunity to experience you, to have a relationship with you. My prayer today is that you would draw them unto yourself. And in fact, family, if you are here today and you don't have a personal intimate relationship with Jesus, I would invite you to invite him into your life by simply praying this prayer, saying, Dear Lord, I'm a sinner, and I need my sin forgiven. Jesus, come into my heart and save me. I believe you're the Son of God, and that you will give me eternal life. Save me, Jesus, is my prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these who have listened today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.